This is episode 513 of the AWS podcast, released on April 3, 2022. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lish here with you. Great to have you back. I'm joined by two very special guests today. Firstly, I'm joined by Brad Coughlin, who is the founder and CEO of The Data Foundry. G'day, Brad. How are you going? Good. Thanks, Simon. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks for coming on board. And I'm also joined by the inimitable Paul Macy, who is the Chief Data Officer and all-round guru over there at TDF. G'day, Paul. G'day, Simon. Thanks, both of you, for joining us. We're going to do an interesting episode today. We're going to dive deep on one particular domain because there's a saying in the world, which is do less than obsess. And I think this particular AWS partner is a great example of that. Um, but Brad, let me start with, you know, what is the Data Foundry and, and why did you create it? Uh, the Data Foundry is uh, a two years young scale-up that pretty much is a, a one-stop data shop that we created based on an opportunity we saw where customers were struggling to turn data into insight. So um, we focused on public sector customers because it probably represents the market segment that, that's most data heavy, but insight light. And our goal is, I suppose, to work with public sector customers across a range of segments, federal, state, education, health, utility, to help them make better informed data-driven decisions that can hopefully result in the better use of their precious funds and ultimately better outcomes for all of us. I think that's a worthy goal. I really find it interesting that you've you've really laser-focused in on, on one particular domain and one particular capability because it's kind of that classic Pareto principle that, you know, there's there's 80% of the benefit from 20% of the effort and there's all this great data out there, but th there's no insights. So so you've really built the organization about really just pulling those insights out, kicking and screaming, if I can put it that way. Exactly. So so we looked at the um, the landscape of partners out there servicing that sort of market opportunity. And again, to your point about laser focus, we decided that, you know, if, if I can use the analogy that when you need a knee reconstruction, whether you're a footballer or a netballer, you don't go to a general practitioner. You go to the orthopedic surgeon who specializes mm, in mm. knee reconstructions and does all the national footballers and netballers. In the same way, you wouldn't go to the data foundry for generic AWS 101 infrastructure requirements. We deliberately stay narrow and go deep in anything that starts with the word data. So from data strategy, governance, classification, privacy, security, right through to data engineering, data onboarding, data lakes, data warehouses, data analytics, data visualization, data science. Essentially, if it starts with the word data, we probably do it. <laughs> and we're going to get into some of the, the, the guts of the how, but but let's think about the why first. You know, when, when you're engaging with these agencies in particular, what are the insights they're looking for? Because I'm, let me just speculate. I don't think any of them are, are really wanting a data warehouse or a data lake or a data, you know, playhouse. They're trying to get answers to something. What, what are the kinds of questions you get? Um, I think there are finite resources available at their disposal and an ever-decreasing budget where they're expected to do more with less. And the only way they're going to drive that sort of step change in innovation and productivity is to make better decisions with the resources that they have 
at their disposal. Customers across the board tell us that there's no shortage of data, but there's in, an incredible lack of insight into what the data is trying to tell them. So we built the company deliberately around a tagline that says from data to insight at the speed of cloud. And the end goal is to help them make better, more timely, well-informed, data-driven decisions that will drive better policy and better program outcomes for all of us. Mm -hmm. That makes good sense. Now, now Paul, let me come to you because you're a bit of a data whisperer, I would say, is that you find quick and easy ways to get to some answers. Talk to us about some of the, the models you use and the, the, both the technical standpoint but from a mental model perspective as well. How do we get this data into some form of insight? Well, the art of it really today is to standardise the way we can consume the data. And the reason why for me with using AWS, it's, it's got a range of services that allow us to effectively funnel the data into a central point and set up a standardized way of consuming that data to produce those insights. So um, I know we'll go into the, the services a little bit later, but for me, if we're able to create that foundation and create a repeatable workflow, that onboarding of data, the storage, the curation and then consumption should be this almost a, a seamless experience where it's it's a lot like an agile process or like DevOps, but we start to uh, call it dev, data ops. So let's dive into that because data ops is a term that sort of hasn't hasn't really hit the mainstream yet. When you talk about data ops, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is that if you think of the way DevOps works, it's really about Agile development, being able to come up with an idea, test it out, validate it, and deliver it as a piece of software. The difference with data ops is that you take that agile methodology, you apply the continuous implementation and delivery, but then as well as that, you include a, another process, which is the data pipeline within that, which is like the, the factory that goes with it. Data Ops builds on the DevOps concept by uh, acknowledging the roles of data specialists, so data analysts, data developers, data engineers, and data scientists, and then allows them to focus on a collaborative development of data flows and the continuous use of that data across the organizations. And so the most important thing to with Data Ops is that you're able to reduce this end cycle time of producing getting data in and then producing an insight. So taking an idea and then producing a chart or a graph or a model that creates value is dramatically accelerated. I'll give you an example. Before we had data ops, a schema change in a database would be, you know, you need one data engineer a week. With data ops, you can do 12, maybe 20 different schema changes every single week without any kind of interruption to the day-to-day workflow. And that speed is interesting because I think, you know, when we, when we think about DevOps, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing code, I'm deploying code, maybe it's into production, maybe it's not, but it's it's code. And and so it's, it's about running the code, not about sort of moving huge amounts of data. So I'm not fighting against the speed of disk or the speed of light or the amount of memory I've got. But, but the data world is different in that often we're dealing with vast corpuses of data that has to be ETL'd. And in the past, that's been problematic. Like I remember working with a, a large bank years ago where, for them to add one new field to their data warehouse was a six-month project. Are you saying that doesn't have to be the case anymore? 
Definitely not. What DataOps allows you to do is experiment really quickly with tools that you're comfortable with. On AWS, you're able to use a series of different services as a contiguous pipeline to produce that insight. And because we're able to use infrastructure as code, we're able to replicate and speed up the delivery of those particular insights and changes so that the organization can deliver value very, very quickly. So what are some of those services that you, you string together to make this work? You know, I can, I can point to things like a Redshift or, or um, you know, Glue and, and other things, but there's kind of like some, some interesting mixes you've put together to make this work. Well, yeah, look, we seem to find, and I think most people know this, is that S3 is, or has become this foundational data layer that most people know as a data lake. But as we're starting to use more of Redshift and Redshift Spectrum, we're finding it's becoming more of a data warehouse because we're able to present data in near real time from an object store. But we're also finding at TDF that with the arrival of AWS Glue Data Brew, we're able to start to create recipes that are triggered from events that could be from Amazon S3 or they could be coming from Redshift. And what we're able to do is as data is arriving into these different data sources, we're able to trigger data quality and, and, and validation. We're able to transform and prepare data, not just for traditional analytics, but also advanced insights for data science and machine learning. So I think um, the combination of S3 Redshift with Redshift Spectrum, as well as the ability to have a pipeline with AWS Glue Data Brew is an incredible powerhouse for any organization who's technically deep with SQL, or actually if you're business focused and you want to use a visual tool to prepare data, AWS Glue Data Brew is just a, a great product that's gonna really accelerate your ability to prepare and have data presented ready for analytics and advanced insights. So, so I think this the combination is interesting because you know there's a lot of talk about sort of lake house architectures, et cetera, which is really combining the sort of the traditional data warehouse and data lake into something more useful. And, and you're really wrapping this with with a lot more automation than I suspect many people are doing. Um, how do you find people adjust to that? Because you know the code pipelines super familiar if you're a developer, way less familiar if you're a data analyst. Well, the proof is. The way we go about it is by demonstration, demonstrating the value. And so what we'll do in most scenarios is I will present a scenario that is common to the customer or familiar to the customer. And what I'm able to do is present, for example, if we take AWS Glue Data Brew, I'm able to take source data that could be in Amazon S3 or in Amazon Redshift, bring it in to AWS Glue Data Brew visually Okay, so I'm not using code. I'm actually selecting where the data is within the different data stores by choosing some dropdowns and choosing the locations. Mm -hmm. Then I'm able to establish a project which allows me to see the different fields visually and I can see how the data is distributed with a, a graph that says, this is how unique the data is, whether there are anomalies with the data. And then I'm able to apply transformations to the data where I can actually visually go in as a business user and say, hey, you know what? I don't want to have dates in my data. I, I, want, I want to have numbers or I want to transform the data from integers into doubles or I want to take 
text and split it into multiple lots of text. I can do that visually with Glue Data Brew and then save that in my own data location, whether that is back in the database or in, into an object store like Amazon S3. So moving it around quickly and easily is, is really the key. And I, I guess if you're doing this sort of in real time with your customer, there's probably a few eyes that sort of go, what, what did you just do? <laughs> did you just do that? Yeah, exactly right. Because in the past, there'd be a lot of moving pieces. There'd be a, a lot of trial and error. The great thing about these tools is that we're able to immediately see the data in real time. We're able to transform and get a sample of what the output's going to look like from the real data. And then the users are able to save the actual methods and the, and the steps that they've taken as a recipe, a bit like a brew, and then reapply that if they want to do that every week or have that as part of a, um, a repeatable process, which they could actually give, where they could actually give that recipe to a data engineer as part of this data ops lifecycle. So that repeatability part becomes really important and the ability to scale and turn on and off is, is also ties in. So those three things together really make it just work. Yep. Yep. It's seamless. And that's the great thing about it. The integration between the different services from the storage through to creation, through to consumption is frictionless. You really don't notice any kind of challenges or friction across the, across the process. So, so given all that, Brad, let me come back to you. What, what are some of the, the real projects that TDF have been involved in where you've exercised this capability? Because it sounds good, but um, you know, the, the, the proof's in the pudding, as we say. There's a range of things across different customer and industry types. Uh, for example, in the tertiary sector, we've worked with large public universities to um, enable them to onboard data from a range of line of business applications, bring them into a data lake, um, run analytics and visualization capabilities over that using tool sets that they're already familiar with. Most customers have got enterprise licenses for something. Um, and then and then increasingly shifting them to uh, a posture where rather than producing insights that are looking in the rear vision mirror to looking through the front windscreen to see what's coming around the corner. So introducing things like SageMaker and SageMaker Studio and Sandpits for them where they can start to do some of those more predictive things. So some of the universities that we've worked with have been using that exact capability to pull in a range of student-centric and learning-centric and pedagogical data uh, exam and quiz results to then start to predict which students are more likely than not to churn out of my particular subject or my particular course. In the state government sector, we worked with a large um, state government department who was interested in doing um, almost near real-time COVID-related modelling. So again, we work with them to bring, bring in a range of Azure-related workloads uh, data from back-end line of business applications. And then we were using SageMaker and machine learning models and the hyperscaling capabilities to tune the models to predict what were the likely implications of COVID 
if we were to see COVID outbreaks in this particular area or region, what were the government services that were most likely to be impacted? Which services could we move from which particular geographic locations to augment those particular services? And where were we going to be caught short? And then therefore using that to drive conversations around, should we be preemptively moving some resources around or planning for these occurrences so that we're able to respond to those incidents as and when they occur in the shortest possible possible time frame rather than waiting for it to happen and then reacting. Mm-hmm. And and you do this also not just in sort of um, the tertiary space, but you've also done stuff in, in sort of um, law enforcement and other areas where really want to understand how we can help create a better society. Um, again, a, a similar example, we work with a large agency that focuses around criminal statistics and we help them migrate their workload from their on-premise capability to their AWS data lake. In doing so, we were able to compress the time cycles that it took them to onboard the data, to process the data and to derive outcomes from the data. But we also did it in such a way that gave them better agility, you know, improved cost savings, um, an elastic environment that they could dial up and dial down as required, but, but importantly for them, a more secure platform than the one that it was perhaps hosted on mm-hmm. uh, prior mm-hmm. to moving to the data lake. And, and increasingly, customers are telling us because of sustainability reasons. That's interesting too, because I, I guess if you've got large and growing data sets, you want to make sure it's in the the most sort of carbon optimal location you can have it. So this this helps retire some of those um, probably old and inefficient platforms. It does. It does. And we're seeing that come up in more of the conversations. It's almost become the, the, the sixth pillar, if you like, of the reasons why customers tend to, to move workloads to AWS over any other vendor. I think it's interesting too that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming your sort of line of business conversations are very different because of the speed of delivery that's demanded but also possible. In the past, I think a lot of lines of business wanted to use data to inform decisions, but you know, when they started having the conversation, they got presented with a six to twelve month uh, infrastructure and data program of work, um, which which really you lose your enthusiasm pretty quick when you're having that conversation. Versus, um, you know, let's get you up and running in a couple of weeks, and here we go. So, are you sensing that that expectation shift? Uh, absolutely, and and the fact that we do use some of the data ops capabilities that Paul referred to earlier. And and we take this agile sort of um, CICD approach. We're able to deliver in the space of weeks what would have traditionally been delivered in the space of months. Typically, most of our projects only run from six to 10 weeks in duration. And what we tend to do is adopt an agile approach where we run two weekly sprints, delivering something at the end of every fortnight so the customer can see tangible benefit being accumulated throughout the course of the project mm. With, mm. With, with a real solution up and running beyond minimum viable product in a production-ready data lake or data warehouse running on AWS, ready for them to start enhancing and um, improving the capabilities of as we move on to the next workload with that customer. Yeah, I think seeing seeing that realness is is so important. Paul, I want to come back to you just to talk from a, I guess a skills and mental model perspective again, because a lot of our listeners will be will be you know, long time um, you know, database analysts, database administrators, data engineers, etc. And a lot of what you're talking about seems to be taking away the quote unquote fun of uh, of all the ETL work. And I know you've worked in the data space for many many years. Yeah. What is the fun part for you now compared to maybe what used to be considered fun? 
Man, I tell you what, the amount of people who I, when I, I remember being in large organizations and you'd have these sitting around the coffee machine going, man, I don't, can't believe that this data is so bad. I mean, I can't believe I've got to spend this morning doing the same thing again of <laughs> trying to clean the data, try to, oh my gosh, there's data missing. This is the wrong file. Maybe I'll go get a USB. You know, all of those things are definitely <laughs> well and gone. And, and the reason why they're well and gone, definitely off the conversation list now is because whenever I meet customers and, and I see them already on the cloud journey, a lot, most organizations I have dealt with are on their cloud journey, whether it's the beginning or they're a little bit down the track, they've started to realize that moving to cloud doesn't mean you have to drop all the skills that you've got. You can actually take your Python skills, you can take your SQL skills, you can take your Java and whichever language you prefer skills and you can bring those across to cloud and they've realized that the only thing they need to do is have a bit of a paradigm shift in, in regards to how you go about transforming the data. But what that enables them to do is get rid of those mundane, really boring day-to-day -day data cleansing and, and preparation tasks and actually get more into the innovation and actually finding new insights from the data and producing real value rather than just fixing things every single day. I think that's a, a really good change of approach. It's much nicer to have cool things to show as a result versus saying, yep, I uh, rectified that crappy CSV that we keep getting every month. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, the other thing is that the energy in the organizations changes as well because what used to be a, a fairly disgruntled kind of conversation now is more enabling and people going, hey, did you see this new feature that AWS put out or, or there's an open source product or, or something else like that? The actual invigoration and changing enthusiasm is is really infectious and mm, I, mm. I, i've got to say at tdf that energy is actually there it's it, when you see it in the tdf team they love seeing new features and they love trying new things and and when you suggest new services or you get them to explore new features they are exactly the same as those people sitting in an office they're going wow this is this is awesome just can do stuff. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. nice when the new is not a threat. The new is actually a benefit, which is uh, yeah. Again, that mentality, isn't it? How can I make the best use of this? You don't have to use it, but if it's if it fixes something or makes something easier, why wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. And Brad, thanks so much for joining us as well. How do people get in touch with TDF? How do they find you guys? Uh, Initially, for background on what we do and how we do it, they can go to the Data Foundry, T H E D A T A F O U N D R Y dot com dot au. They can contact me via Brad dot Coglan, B R A D dot C O U G H L A N at the Data Foundry dot com dot au, and we'd be more than happy to uh, buy them a coffee, have a talk to them about what we do spend some time listening to them and understanding what the particular challenges that they're dealing with and seeing if there's a good fit between what we do as a one-stop data shop and what they need to turn their data into insight. Fantastic. Brad, thanks so much for sharing some stories with us and uh, illuminating what it is to be a data specialist in this world today. My pleasure. Good to be with you, Simon. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.